0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus.
1: Hi guys, good morning. So we're going to be in John 7, starting in verse 1, and go all the way to verse 18. So verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see your works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. And this is the word of the Lord.
0: Father, I come before you, and uh, Lord, I just plead with you right now, uh, Lord, that you would clear my mind, or that you would guard my tongue, Father, that the, the things that I would utter, the, the study that, that I've done, Lord, that you would surface the things uh, that are for myself, for my heart, for my brothers and sisters. Lord, that we would be blessed as, as we, we look to understand who you are more and to be reminded of, of what you have called us to. Lord, I pray uh, that for those of us that believe in you and that have, have given our life to you, Lord, that, that you would strengthen that. And Lord, if, if there are any and, and that don't know you and, and are considering, uh, Lord, this is new to them, Lord, that, that they would see your heart, that they would see who you are and how you are different. Lord, that they would hear your loving call and that they too would place their hope and their trust in you. Lord, we ask for your presence to be with us and that you would encourage us through your word. Amen. So we're back in the book of John. Um, those of you guys that don't know me, my name is David Dietrich. I'm one of the community group leaders here. Uh, I get to have people over at the house. I think Josh was talking about that. Uh, we do have a new address. So if you do want to come to the community group we're on Thursday night, uh, get on that email list. We send the address out each week. Uh, there is a, uh, there are connect cards in the back at the table. So if you want to grab one of those and just put your email down on it, some other information will get you added to the list. Uh, We are back in the book of John though. I took a couple weeks off for the holidays. Uh, Eric taught through uh, a couple things with Christmas and the New Year's and last week uh, did a a great sermon on the value of scripture. If you guys didn't get to hear it, uh, I'd encourage you to download it on the podcast. Uh, Our sermon series, the title of it is, as you can see, that you may believe. And Uh, This comes from John 20, 30 through 31. Uh, It's the end of the chapter. John tells us, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And belief is core to Christian doctrine. I mean, it is, it is the foundation that we would believe, right? John three sixteen, uh, God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But our culture sees belief a little bit different. Um, if we look at uh, Merriam-Webster is an older dictionary, kind of more traditional, uh, and we can look at the definition of belief. Uh, it's a state of habit of mind in which trust or confidence is placed in some person or thing Secondary uh, meaning something believed, especially a tenant or body of tenants held by a group. There's a third meaning that, that's listed here. Uh, and this one is, is kind of the, the real critical one to me because we can see by looking at the third uh, definition, which is uh, gonna come up on the screen here in a, a second, hopefully, but I have it in my notes so I'll just read it from there. Uh, a conviction of the truth of some statement on the reality of some being or phenomenon Especially when based on the examination of evidence. So this definition, talking about the examination of evidence, I think, is, is critical. As we look back, you know, 100 years, the understanding of belief in culture was a very different thing than we have today. If we look at a more uh, modern dictionary, we go to dictionary.com, the, the first definition they, they list is something believed, an opinion or conviction. And the example uh, to use that in a sentence is a belief that the earth is flat. The, the second is a confidence in the truth or existence of something not immediately susceptible to rigorous proof. Example would be a statement unworthy of belief. And as, as we look at both of these definitions, you know, I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but remember the earth is earth is flat, because that's gonna come up again. Uh, but also the the example, the, the sentence they give as the example for belief is kind of a negative context, right? Like, the belief the Earth is flat, we would all accept that the Earth is not flat. Like, it's been proven that the Earth is not flat. I mean, this section of the Earth is a little (laughs) bit flat, but as a whole, not flat. So the example is kind of bringing belief down to something that, well, we can obviously have incorrect beliefs. The third definition and fourth definition, uh, dictionary.com, lists, we have a confidence, faith, or trust, a child's belief in his parents. I have a child at home, and she loves to throw herself, I mean, like, just off the bed, off the couch, and and into my arms, and she has this great faith and belief that I will catch her. And let me tell you, it's not always good belief, because (laughs) sometimes... I don't expect it, and and I'm not uh, worthy of the belief that she is giving me. And then they end it, uh, a religious tenant or tenants, religious creed or faith, the Christian belief. If there's anyone uh, who is associated with dictionary.com, totally not saying that you guys are, you know, uh, trying to pull the Christian faith down, but hey, get some better example sentences. Um, So so we see just in in kind of a shift of how we see belief as a culture. Uh, The last thing, there's Wikipedia. If you guys don't know what Wikipedia is, Wikipedia is kind of a community encyclopedia. So anyone can go on and edit, and it's kind of like this cultural knowledge. And Wikipedia says that belief is the state of mind in which a person thinks something to be the case with or without there being empirical evidence to prove that something is the case with factual certainty. Our society kind of relegates belief to the edges of emotional and and, uh, opinion-based. It's a preference, not something that is concrete. This kind of started, you know, in the last hundred years. Uh, philosophy. There's a, a man named Bertrand Russell. He's a he's a well-known philosopher. Uh, he's got a quote, and he says, "Where there is evidence, no one speaks of faith. We do not speak of faith that two and two are four, or that the earth is round. See, told you it was going to come up again. <laughs> we only speak of faith when we wish to substitute emotion for evidence." So when our society looks at belief, they don't think of belief as something concrete. They think of belief as, which ice cream do you like? Right? There's this, this preference basis to it. Um, our society thinks of belief uh, common, right? It was just the holidays. right? We believe in the spirit of Christmas or the magic of Christmas. That somehow, if we just believe in Christmas, the things that are not real, I won't say them just in case, <laughs> will become real, right? Our our connection to each other is worshipped. Like as men and women, like we have good inside of us and if we just believe in that good, then good things will happen. That's kind of the, the spirit of Christmas culturally. Very common, we see believe in yourself, right? Uh, and, and this, if you do a Google search, you'll see this all over the place, made in many different colors and, and styles, this be and then believe in yourself and be you. That somehow if you believe in you, anything is possible, right? All through school, there's school teachers in here. uh, Don't be offended. Uh, You know, teachers are always telling you, if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. You can't. It's a lie, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't want to bust anybody's bubble, but if I believe I can fly, I cannot fly. Unless I get on an airplane. I don't want to prove myself wrong, but if I believe that I can, you know, jump off a Okay, there's ways to do that, too. This isn't working out. <laughs> if I believe I'm a dog, I am not a dog, right? There we go. That one works. <laughs> so, so belief in our culture is something that is not taken real serious. It's not held as a, a, a thing that is valued. It's something that's devalued. And John feels very different about belief because to John, the entire value of our existence hangs on belief. The word belief is used in the Gospel of John 84 times. So belief is something that that John is thinking about in every chapter, in every verse. And and John 7 is kind of this perfect chapter to jump back into our journey through the book of John. Because we have this, this section in the beginning where the brothers are encouraging him to do something and, and John's commentary is that he, they said this because he doesn't believe, or because they don't believe. And we, we have this opportunity to kind of look at belief, look at unbelief, look at Christ's reply, and hopefully have our own belief encouraged. And before we jump into uh, John 7, I think it would be good just to do a little bit of a recap, right? We've been going through the book of John for about 12 weeks. Uh, if we think about back, way, back when, three months ago, so long ago, uh, the Word became flesh, right? John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, this, this, this beautiful, poetic kind of introduction in God's plan of taking his Son, who is, who is an eternal being, who is, you know has, has perfect fellowship with the Father, and choosing to give that up for a time to become a man and to dwell among us. And that that sacrifice, even that sacrifice of, of stepping into flesh shows us Jesus' character. John the Baptist is introduced, and and when John sees Jesus kind of coming through the crowd, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus calls his first disciples, Nathanael and Philip, and and then some of John's disciples kind of go and join him. And, And there's this really cool scene where uh, I'm, I'm a movie person, so I think of everything as scenes. Uh, but there's this really cool scene where John is going, and, and he's, he's meeting Nathaniel, and, and he says that um, he called him even before he, he knew him, when he was under the fig tree. And, and there's this insight that Jesus has, and, and we don't know what it was, but there was just this insight that just won him over immediately because there was something going on under that fig tree that Jesus knew about and and nobody else did. And Jesus knows us like that. He turns water into wine, right? The the marriage feast and and he goes and some of his disciples are there, his mother's there. Uh, They run out of wine and his mother comes over to him and says, hey, they're out of wine. And he's like, what do you want me to do about it? (laughs) Like, it's not my time yet. And she says to the servants, do whatever he says to do. She's like she didn't even hear it. Like, she's a good mom. <laughs> so Jesus performs this miracle, and he turns the water into the best wine. He clears the temple. He creates a whip. He, he goes in, and he's, he's passionate zeal for his father's house. And he drives the money changers out of the temple. He drives those out of the temple that were corrupting, what he wanted done there. He wanted this to be a place of worship. He wanted this to be a place where where God was glorified. He shares the gospel in in 316 so clearly. Uh, Preaches about being born again to Nicodemus. He meets a Samaritan woman at the well who he, he tells her that if she would drink from what he offered, that she would never thirst again. And she goes back to her town and she says, I met a man who, can, who told me everything about myself. And, he, and she knew this because he knew that she didn't have a husband right now. And that she'd had multiple husbands. And that she'd gone through this, this pain. He knew her pain. He knew what she was trying to fill her life with. And he exposed it to the truth. And then met that need with what she really needed. He heals an official's son from miles away with just a word. And the official finds out that his son was healed the moment he said that. And it causes belief in the official. On the Sabbath, right after a feast, he heals a paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda. Begins the Jewish leaders down a path that eventually leads to them plotting his death is infuriated by this the 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 Jewish leaders because he teaches on his authority from the father and he puts himself on the same level as God and that really really gets them angry he feeds 5000 people I mean, we could do the math on how many people are in here and and what kind of multiplication that would be to kind of get a a visual of it. But a lot of people, and and really probably more than 5,000 because there's a lot of commentators that say that when they say the 5,000, they're only talking about the men just because of the the writing style and whatnot at the time. Um, But at least 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And these weren't like two blue whales that they just kind of cut up. Like, you know, just fish. He walks on the water of the Sea of Galilee And then he preaches this message about being the bread of life. And he says, you have to eat of my flesh, you have to drink of my blood, that I am the key to eternal life. And and his disciples are really challenged by it. And many of them leave. They just, they're like, they throw in the towel and they go back home. And he he talks to the 12, and he says, are you guys going to go too? And they say, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. God, we may not understand this moment, what you're, you're trying to say, but this may be difficult for us to do. We may feel like there's no way that we can have this level of commitment, but we know that you are true. What else are we going to do? So they continue to follow him. And that brings us to chapter 7. Jesus is in Galilee. People are plotting to kill him. He's, he's, a, he's retreated from Judea. Not that the Lord really retreats, but made a strategic withdrawal, I guess. I don't know. His disciples are with him, he's preaching. Or his, the twelve are with him, he's preaching, but most of his disciples have left. And he's at this meeting with his brothers. And his brothers are looking at the situation and saying, you know, like, gosh, like our poor brother. You know, all his disciples are gone and, and they want to kill him. And, you know, he's he's a great guy. I mean, look at him, he does miracles, and and he's he's just we know him, we, we love him, we, we, want him to, we want to see the best for him. And starting in verse 3, they have this advice for Jesus. And they say, leave here, go to Judea that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, a lot of the time when, when I would talk to people about this passage, their first instinct was that, the brothers didn't believe he did miracles and and that they're being sarcastic to him and they're kind of like goading him. And I don't believe that. And I don't believe that for multiple reasons. Um, One of them is that they grew up with Jesus and Mary knew he did miracles. Mary knew that he had power and they grew up in the same house. And the the Pharisees didn't uh, disbelieve the miracles that he was doing. Nobody doubted his miracles that saw them and, and they were seeing the miracles that were being done in Galilee. So I don't believe that this is a sarcastic comment. And if you look at most commentators, uh, that's pretty universally held. Uh, that the the sarcasm is something that we read in because we're a sarcastic society. And because we're trying to understand what is it about this statement that makes them not believe. Because verse 5 says clearly, for not even his brothers believed in him. There's something in this statement that makes it evident that they did not believe in him. And we can't put two and two together. So I want to look at this statement a little bit deeper. There's three things that I see in this statement that I think highlight where the source of unbelief is. And as we look at their unbelief, I want us to just kind of be thinking about ourselves, right? John placed this passage here for a purpose and for a reason. And it's to, uh, as he said, to convince us to believe, And sometimes when we're trying to grow in our belief, it helps to kind of see the the deceptions that we often fall into. So the first thing that I notice about this passage, they're giving advice to Jesus, right? I mean, this is pretty straightforward, but they're giving advice to Jesus. So this happens a couple other times in Scripture. Uh, If we look at Matthew 16... Uh, Starting in verse 21, uh, Peter gives advice to Jesus once, uh, maybe more time, once recorded in, in the Gospels. Starting in verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." James and John give Jesus advice. In Luke chapter nine, starting in verse fifty-one, it said, "When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him." Who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? This is really good <laughs> advice. Uh, <laughs> but he turned and rebuked them. So, first thing, they were giving Jesus advice. Have we ever given Jesus advice? I mean, hopefully our first thought is no, but I think if we're, we're, we're truthful to ourselves, we have. And you know where we do it mostly? is through prayer. Right? We have to ask ourselves, are our prayers seeking to align our desires to the will of God? Or are our prayers petitions to change God's will to grant our desires? I mean, often we pray, Lord, change my situation, and in some situations, there's nothing wrong with praying that. But the heart behind it is, are we, are we trying to align our desires with God's will, with what he has, has placed in our path? The second thing that I see in this, uh, this advice that is given is that it's confrontational. And it's confrontational in a bad way, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, when you, when you think about it differently, like you kind of do a, a modern translation. This is the Dietrich Bible says, Jesus, go back to the place where they want to kill you, gather up your disciples, get them fired up, and do it all out in public to be seen. Right? So, I mean, this is, like, what is going to (laughs) happen? I mean, we're going to go into a territory where people aren't happy with us. We're going to gather up the people that are, and we're going to go out and have a party and just rub it in their face. Like, this is going to cause conflict. And this goes against Jesus' teaching, right? We go to Luke 6, starting in verse 27. Uh, Jesus is giving a sermon, the Beatitudes are coming out here, and he says, But I say to you here, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. This is a tough verse to swallow. And honestly, it doesn't make any sense. Everything in us, it's like, what? Love my enemies, do good to those who hate me. Someone steals from me, I give them more. Someone hits me, I don't protect myself. This is bizarre. It goes against everything that we would think. Paul reinforces it. I mean, this is, Jesus. What, we didn't misunderstand Jesus. In Romans 12, chapter 17, Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Have you ever questioned God by seeking justice on your own terms? I mean... Even if it's just mentally, right? Like we we mentally start thinking through, like you know, like they were so wrong, and and I hope this happens to them, or I wish this happens to them. These are really difficult things. I mean, I don't know how one would do this. When I look at the brothers and think, it makes so much more sense. Right? Like th- this is where their unbelief is is coming from, because they're they're thinking like the world, which we'll we'll talk more about. The last thing that I see here in their uh, their their advice to Jesus is that it's seeking recognition, right? Uh, if we look uh, deeper, the John seven sixteen and eighteen, the last two verses in the section that we're looking at, Jesus says, "My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me." If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. It's not the first time that Jesus has said things like this. If we go back to John 4, in verse 43, he says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe me when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus is constantly saying that he's not here on his own accord. He's not pursuing his own agenda. He's pursuing the Father's. We've all sought our own glory. It's empty. It's the source of our unbelief, whether we're followers of Christ or not. Jesus' response makes it clear that was, what was at the source of the brother's unbelief. If we look at verse 6, he says, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about, what it's, or testify about it that its works are evil. So Jesus makes very clear that the source of the brother's unbelief is that they were thinking like the world... And they were wanting to do things now in their time. And Jesus is a model of patient submission to the Father. I mean, Jesus was not in good circumstances right now. People did want to kill him. People had abandoned him. He'd been betrayed in that sense, even by those that were following him, because they were like, dude, you've, you've lost it. We're going back home. And yet, the Lord lives out obediently, what God has called him to. If we look at the world's philosophy, and it doesn't matter what school of philosophy we're looking at, whether it's the Enlightenment or, or you know, before or after, I mean any, any field, any kind of thought of philosophy, at the center of it is man. And the center of God's truth is God. And the source of our unbelief is when we get those two things mixed up. And that's the source of the brother's unbelief. They were thinking like the world. And we know that because, in Jesus' responses, the world cannot hate you. And the world cannot hate them because they are like the world. The world will not hate itself. They hate Jesus because he exposes the lie that's there. The brothers believed that Jesus existed. They believed that Jesus was a teacher of influence. And they definitely believed that he'd performed miracles, but they didn't believe And John says this because he's trying to communicate to us something about unbelief. This letter was not necessarily, I don't think that it was void of being written to people who didn't know Jesus, but it was written to the churches, people who said they did believe in Jesus. And the people that are talked about it, the brothers of Jesus, were known by the people that the letter was written to. James was the author of the book of James. He was one of the leaders of the church. And at this moment, John tells us he didn't believe. And there's some encouragement about this, right? I mean, one, obviously James did believe later. I mean, that that changed. But it's also to point out that like, hey, you guys, belief in Jesus is more than just acknowledging that he's real or acknowledging that what he says is true. It gets way deeper than that. Believing in Jesus changes the way that you see the world and how you interact with it. Um, John Piper just recently turned 70. uh, Wonderful blessing to the church right now. Wonderful blessing to my life. He describes belief as seeing him, Jesus, for who he really is. Seeing him as infinitely valuable as the Son of God. I can just hear Piper saying this. I don't know if any of you guys know Piper or listen. Infinitely valuable. I could just hear it. <laughs> it's not just acknowledging the fact that he is the Son of God, but also seeing him as infinitely precious and valuable. So there's a value to Christian belief. Faith in Christ is not blind, and to believe in Jesus is to have faith in his promises and his character. So there's a definition that I like, and you can toss this definition out because it's just one that I like. Um, belief is knowledge that has been received and accepted, resulting in a change of behaviors and values. All right. So John wants our belief to grow. It's why he included this, why he did that. And we've surfaced some of these things, and some of them are really hard. Like, I don't know about you guys, but... If someone steals from me, my first inclination is not give them something else. Uh, if somebody hits me, my first inclination is not to, like, turn the cheek and say, oh, I need one over here, too.
1: <laughs>
0: like, this is not normal thinking. How do we do this? And it's by the power of the Spirit. And, and, and some of us are going through difficult times in life, and I don't want this to be discouraging because we have the Spirit inside of us. And just like James God has us on a journey because John is telling us that his brothers did not believe at that moment, but even at that moment, Jesus knew that his brothers would come to believe because he had he'd chosen them. He would called them out, and he knew that he was doing a work even, in, even at that moment, preaching to them, responding to them, was helping them believe at a later date. But we might be in a situation right now where we're struggling. And it's difficult. And we're thinking, Lord, I believe. We're like the man in Mark 9, right? He says, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. So there's some things that we can kind of look at, things that we can think about when we start thinking about, okay, I believe in Jesus, and I know that belief in Jesus means that my life will change, but I'm not changing. So there's a couple of things that I want us to think about. Let's do some life assessment. Think about... uh, I think it's, it's Philippians 2. It's just talked about f- uh, working your salvation out with fear and trembling. And I, I think uh, I don't want you guys to be fearful and trembling today, but I guess I kind of do too. So there we go. We'll, we'll work this out together. Uh, one of the reasons that your life might not be changing, one of the reasons that I have seen my life go stagnant is that I wasn't daily engaging with his word and the Spirit. We talk a lot about being in the Word of God, about reading the Word of God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you reading a book. I'm talking about be in the Word. right? Don't just read it and then go on, but you know, take some notes. You've got to engage with it. You've got to chew on it. Eric gave that message last week. If you struggle in this and you did not hear it, if you struggle having a passion for the Word of God and, and getting into it and reading it and getting something out of it, please download that message. It's on our podcast uh, it just—it was really good kind of bringing out the value of Scripture. Another thing that you can do if you struggle in this area, read with someone. Set some time aside. Hold each other accountable. For me, I, I do the best study when I know that I'm going to be discussing it with someone. If I know that I have to have something to share, because then there's that accountability that, you know, I need to, to dig into it and, and pull something out. If you struggle with praying... You know, pray through a psalm. It's a two-for-one. It's your, it's your time in the Word and your prayer all at the same time. Uh, psalms are great for praying through. When you just feel so defeated that you don't know the words to put out to the Lord, the psalms are amazing. Another thing that we do that keeps our life from changing is that we don't take every thought captive, right? We're, we're like James It says that we're like a, a boat in the wind with no rudder because we're not taking control of the way we think. And we can identify things in other people, but we don't apply the same thing to our life. We say, man, like, that's the fruit of pride. And we see that in our friends or our spouses or our children. But then when we act the same way, we're completely blind to it. And we need to pull those planks out of our eyes. And we need to take our thoughts captive. And we need to be, you know, humble enough to to really kind of call a spade a spade, right? we call We got to call pride, pride. When we say something that sounds like pride, it is pride. It's sin. We need to repent of it. And there's such hope in repentance, right? I mean, Eric taught a message uh, years ago on depression, fear, anxiety, and he said, you guys, these are sin. And it's like, oh man, like you can't call fear and anxiety a sin. Like that's just harsh. He's like, no, there's hope In the fact that fear and anxiety is a sin because we can repent of it and we can be changed. Because if it's not a sin, then we're bound to it forever. So there is hope. Sin is not something. Sin has been defeated. So there is hope when we look at this and we say, man, this is sin. There is hope in that because we can repent of it and we can be changed. I think uh, very common, we're distracted by the world. And I I don't want you to hear what I am not saying here. Uh, When when I say that we're distracted by the world and, and two areas that we are commonly distracted, one is that we have too much of some leisure activity. And I am not saying that we don't rest and that we don't have leisure. But what I am saying is we do a lot of it. A lot of it. And sometimes it can be a distraction. And sometimes we have... Increased our diet of leisure so we can't take <laughs> we can't take a healthy amount of work anymore. We have too many material possessions. Material possessions are a blessing. Uh, my wife and I just bought a bigger house. Uh, you know, Eric condemned me for it two weeks in the, or two weeks ago in the middle of the sermon. No, he didn't. It was just a joke. Um, but you know we're we're we've prayed through it a lot you know i mean this is going to be more money every month that it's going to cost and and is this a good stewarding of our funds and and you know what do we need the house for what are we going to use the house for how is god going to use this house and and there was there were weeks um that i kind of i just agonized in prayer on lord i don't know i mean i i i i see opportunity and and that the lord could use this i mean we do the bible study at our house there's more space um you know, there, there's, there's a lot of things that kind of go on with that. And God just, you know, through that prayer, through those weeks, he just reaffirmed and he brought people around. And, and he opened up opportunities for us to be uh, just a blessing. And, and to bless not only us, but other people through the house and, uh, you know, to be hospitable and, and whatnot. It, it, it was very affirming. But I'm really concerned. And, and I have this on the list because I think there were times in my life when I bought things to cope or I would buy things to, to entertain myself. And the, the thing is, guys, is when we buy those things, I mean, one of the biggest reasons I don't want a bigger house is it's more clutter and stuff to keep track of and organized. And that's a distraction. It keeps me from doing other things. So the more simple that I live, the easier it is for me to focus on the things that are important. So don't hear that I'm saying that you can't have material possessions or if, they, if you own a BMW that you're a sinner. BMWs are nice, but they can be a distraction. The last thing that is a distraction in the world is fear and anxiety, right? When we start thinking about the future and we get worried about what could happen or what would happen, the fear of something traumatic, dangerous, or sad happening in our lives or those that love us can paralyze us from seeing the joy of Christ right now. And I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but they're going to happen. We live in a fallen world. People are going to die. There's going to be traumatic incidents. Relationships are going to be broken. There's going to be sickness. It's all going to happen. Don't worry about it. Just accept it. Because that's the truth. The hope that gets us through that is that Christ has defeated it. That they're temporary afflictions. So the distraction in the world there is just a lie from Satan. Satan right? It, it's Satan telling us the world right now is what matters, and the eternity does not. The last thing uh, that we can, we can kind of look at, uh, I think, keeps us from changing is uh, we're living out of the body, and not like out-of-body experience, but out of the body of Christ. <laughs> we're trying to do it on our own, and, and I think a, a key thing to help this, uh, we kind of talked with a couple other guys and, and, you know, talk about the relationships that we have and to me, relationships fall into one of three categories. Relationships are either going to be preparing you, relationships are going to be partnering, or they're going to be one that you're pouring into someone else. So a relationship that's preparing for you or preparing you, you've got to, you know, find a mentor. Find somebody who's in a life stage beyond yours that you respect and you look at them and you say, I want to follow them as they follow Christ. And live around them. Tie your life to theirs. Partnering are those people that, you know, we're, we're working on the same thing. Every morning on Sunday, there's a group of people that come here, and we're partnering together to accomplish a work of the gospel. We want to encourage one another. We want to encourage each other as a church, and we're focused on a task, and we're partnered in that task. And then there are people that we're pouring into, people that we are discipling or, or sharing with, people who don't have the resources that we have, and, and we're able to bless them um, financially or otherwise. You know, this is where a lot of our, our relationships with unbelievers would be, right? I mean, we're, we're pouring into them. Uh, we're trying to be a light. We're trying to share God's love with them. We're, we're being a vessel of God's love, being poured into them through our lives. And what happens is, is we mess these relationships up. We're in a relationship with someone who, that we should be pouring into, but we're really partnered with them. And that causes distraction. And I would encourage each of you guys, assess the relationships of your life and make sure that they are in the right category and that you're being purposeful in living out that relationship with the stage that it's at, right? In preparing or partnering or pouring. If you are a believer in Jesus John has this question for you. Have you died to yourself? Have you picked up your cross and submitted yourself to whatever the Lord has called you to in this life? Are the distractions of pleasure and comforts and recognition drawing you back from patiently submitting to the will of the Father? And if you don't know Jesus, John has a testimony to tell you. He's telling you about the things that he experienced with the Son of God as he walked on earth. This is not just blind faith that John has. John, you know, the last apostle to die, tradition is he died of old age. But most of the disciples of Jesus, they knew for a fact whether Jesus died and was resurrected because they saw him. This was not belief based on hypotheticals. They saw him face to face. They shook his hand. They walked with him. They ate with him. Their belief was not based on a lack of factual evidence. So if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, I'm just realizing I'm like yelling at you. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm not being a good vessel right now. Um, If if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you're here and you you do know Jesus, you know, examine the Gospels. Build your faith. If you don't know Jesus and and it's because there's some evidence that you feel is lacking, you know, come up, let's talk. Let's, Let's talk through it. I mean, the evidence is there. And ultimately, it's your decision, right? I mean, I, I can't force you. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't make you think something. I can't even make my child think something. So God knows an adult that I'm talking to, I have no control over whatsoever. There are three other Gospels that you can expand on who, that expand on who Jesus was, and, and you can look at them and see why he came and, and the love that he offers. All of us need to base our beliefs on informed opinions. And As, as the worship team comes up and, and we, we kind of jump back into our time of worship, I would just tell you guys, if your belief needs to be fed, dig into the gospel, see who Jesus is. It's not blind faith. But if your prayers, if your, if your sight on Jesus... Sounds more like petitions than it does surrendering yourself to God's will. Let's just repent of it and, and be accepted into what, or be accepting of what God has given us, and be focused on an eternity. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at CovGrace.org slash menifee